house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. A man with questions about his own conduct. Losing a man like your friend Boylar. I've been there. Must now defend the courage of another. The White House has heard that we're considering the Medal of Honor for this chopper pilot who saved a bunch of guys on the down black hole. Naturally, they want it for Veterans Day. Naturally. It's a woman. You didn't know? This is Captain Karen Walden. She's the first woman in history to be nominated for a Medal of Honor for combat. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast getting drunk with Adina Menzel while we wait for Colin Farrell's great American novel. I'm your host, Joe Reed, and I'm here with my co-host, Chris File. Hi, Chris. Hello, Joe. How are you? I'm wonderful. That's good. I'm- it's a nice sort of overcast morning uh, here in New York City. How are things in Ohio? Um, they are also overcast. I guess that's fitting because we're talking about a pretty overcast movie. An overcast time in American history. Yes. Um, <laughs> every week on this had Oscar buzz, we're going to be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had big time Academy Award aspirations. And for one reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died and we are here to perform the autopsy. The patient, if we're going to stretch this metaphor well past the point of breaking, uh, this week is the 1996 Gulf War drama Courage Under Fire, starring Denzel Washington and Meg Ryan and others. We'll get into it. Uh, Directed by the great, question mark, uh, Edward Zwick. Certainly the notable Edward Zwick. It's it's weird talking. We'll get into it. We'll get into it. It's weird talking about Edward Zwick because as a television person and as a movie person, it's two different reputations. We'll get into it. Um, But I think to kick it off, Chris, why why this movie? Why why did this movie jump out to you, to me, to us? I think it kind of really stood out to me explicitly because of Meg Ryan. Me too. Me too, but go on because I feel like there's a there's something to be talked about here. Well, Meg Ryan never been nominated. Weirdly, never been nominated. Yes, as far as her what the height of her stardom was and how we considered her as an actress, especially in the '90s. Um, and I would say the flavor of her stardom too, because like she was yeah. the like classic America's sweetheart. And if you look at her contemporaries in that category. Julia Roberts, America's Sweetheart. Reese Witherspoon was sort of like the next up-and-coming America's Sweetheart. Sandra Bullock. All of those women not only got Best Actress nominations, but have Oscars somewhere in their homes right now. And that Meg Ryan didn't even get nominated in her career, despite having, like, doing all the things you're supposed to do, which is being excellent in your lane and then stepping out of your lane and... Also doing a really good job, because it's really... I'm sure we might get into this eventually, but... Or on another episode, but it's a little surprising. I haven't seen the movie in years, but When a Man Loves a Woman didn't happen for her, because that was, like, the first big break out of, like you were saying, being great in your lane and then also being really good in not your lane. It was the first time, at least in my mind, that she did that, unless you want to count her crying in Top Gun. (laughs) Which we won't. Um, No, I think you're absolutely right. The fact that she wasn't nominated for When a Man Loves a Woman is still very surprising, particularly because of what an odd sort of slapdash best actress year that was 1994 where like Susan Sarandon's getting nominated for the client sort of just because right. not that she's not great in the client, but like, you know, it's the client, it's the client, right. That we're reaching back into like the Orion vaults to grab blue sky that were, you know, I don't know. Um, well, we can talk about 1994 another time, but it's, it's definitely a strange one. So, yeah. So I think this movie always stood out to me. I had never seen it until we had watched it this week for the podcast. But it always stood out to me. I was like, huh, that was another Meg Ryan movie where she was stepping outside of her romantic comedy bubble for something, you know, awards baby, and it didn't really work for her. Watching the movie 
I think was a different experience. <laughs> it makes sense <laughs> because I hadn't seen it either. And we were both, when we picked this movie, we both kind of talked like, yeah, it's a little weird that it, you know, make right. It didn't happen for her. And we're like, it's this big starring role and she's on the poster looking dramatic. And then we watch it and she is in maybe 10 minutes of this. Movie. And, and in a way that is, that sort of takes away all of her agency. It's a very much spotlight supporting performance I I was only 16 at the time, so it's tough to remember about like Oscar campaigns. I didn't really wasn't that aware of it, but like I if she was campaigned at all, which I'm not sure she was because this was a summer release and all of the buzz was around Denzel Washington and kind of Denzel Washington alone. Um, but if she was campaigned, she would have had been campaign supporting. I can't imagine justifying a lead. You know, that would have been crazy, even though she is, as you said, not only on the poster, but like on the top of the poster, you know, she's like she's the first face you see when you look at that poster. Okay, and here's the thing about this movie, as listeners will have heard that opening very dramatic trailer clip. Oh, yeah. Give it give a quick nutshell of the plot just before we get started. So I realize we didn't do that last week for Ask the Dust. And that's a movie that like nobody knows and saw. So like. Ask but, the Dust you know, is the movie that we've covered that you least need to know the plot, though, in fairness. <laughs> this one's maybe the most plotty. So the plot, the premise of the movie is Denzel Washington is a, um, is he a colonel? Yes. He's, he's Lieutenant fancy colonel. military. Lieutenant colonel. McNeil. He, he is important military. Um, yeah. And he is suffering the trauma of accidentally killing one of his um someone in his crew in tank warfare on the mistake that it was supposed to be um, an enemy tank. And in the meantime, he is uh, away from battle and he is assigned to investigate a potential um, medal of honor recipient who will also be the first female medal of honor recipient um, who died in the line for combat for combat for combat. Um, who died in the line of fire and the you get kind of the Rashomon plot device thing of where the stories aren't quite linking up to everybody who is um, who he's interviewing for this, including several of her, um, I guess, lower command officers um, that were with her on the mission that she died. Um, so you get Meg Ryan in these flashbacks but they're all a little bit different. They come rather late in the movie. So it's like as much as she looms over that poster in seriousness, she kind of looms. Yeah, over you do, the movie. It takes a while to get to her. Yeah. Yeah. Also, you mentioned Rashomon, which is obviously I was reading a lot of the reviews for this movie at the time. And like they all mentioned Rashomon, which as you should, because it's very sort of, that structure is very clearly identifiable. Um, it's sort of like Rashomon be- meets a few good men. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. In that, like, you're also that was another movie about a uh, a naval officer investigating this crime and sort of figuring out who's telling the truth. And uh, and weirdly, weirdly, the uh, Jack Nicholson figure from that movie is kind of replicated a l- on a lower level in Lou Diamond Phillips in this movie, who is giving this very snarling uh, macho. He's almost like what Kiefer Sutherland is to A Few Good Men. I think that's maybe a better comparison to Lou Diamond Phillips in this movie. Um, But he is one of the main stories. You know, Denzel gets a story from Matt Damon, a story from Lou Diamond Phillips, a story from, um, what's his name? The guy who's in The Walking Dead, Seth Gilliam. Um, and then the guy who plays the pilot who nearly dies in this thing. And, and so it's like four separate stories, but the two main ones are from Lou Diamond Phillips and, and Matt Damon. And it's, you know, who should you believe? And Denzel's going through this moral crisis. Where sometimes it's just, they give a perfectly solid story and he, yeah, I possibly because of his guilt, just right. sniffs something in the air that is not right. And Michael Moriarty of uh, of Law & Order fame plays his commanding officer who is breathing down his neck to get a rubber stamp on this Medal of Honor application because the White House wants it and, and America needs it and we need to, you know, 
feel good story, yada, yada, yada. It's very, it's interesting the way that like this movie is kind of setting up this idea that like giving a woman the medal of honor is part of this like military machine. You know what I mean? Like the system, it almost feels like it's saying like the system is rigged for a woman and it's, I don't know. It's, it's feminist message is muddled perhaps because this is a story told entirely by men through male characters perspective in the service of men. It's, and yet was marketed. I feel like at least a portion of it was marketed on the idea that like, here's this actress who we love playing this feminist hero character. And the movie really kind of sells that out on a lot of levels. Yeah. Well, it's like in the trailer, I think they use every single time that the word woman is used in the movie. Yeah. (laughs) The part that you clipped for uh, at the beginning of the episode, when Denzel looks at her file and goes, it's a woman. It's a woman. And it's like, and it's like, he just discovered the second sex. Like, uh, just that minute it was quite something also like so that's sort of the basic plot of the movie what was what was notable about the movie at the time and you saw this in a lot of the reviews too is that this was the first major studio movie to address the gulf war uh, about five years after the fact and it's interesting because um that pace quickened when it came to the iraq war in 2003 right where like yeah, those how movies quickly started we were responding to it and right. this reminded me of a lot of those movies like i kept thinking of in the valley of ayla oh sure sure while watching this movie and i'm like that movie kind of actually does a lot of what courage under fire is attempting to do so much better because it actually calls the thing the thing um because it <laughs> if you haven't seen the movie listeners the what comes down to what actually happened to Meg Ryan's character deals with, it comes from a lot of sexism and these men not trusting her because she is a woman, but they never actually call a spade a spade. They never say that right. it's sexism. And it's just like, we're kind of left to infer it in a way that even seems a little out of date for the mid nineties. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. Like they, they want to present this, but they don't, it's like they're kind of playing to both sides of the audience, right? The people that are ready for this movie and the people who like this movie is going to be medicine for them. Which is sort of Edwards Wick in a nutshell, right? Where he's playing right. directly down the middle. He's the Edwards Wick thing is interesting on a couple levels. As I said at the the beginning of the show, his movie reputation and his TV reputation dovetail a little bit but are essentially two separate things because in tv he's sort of his productions are kind of beloved because he did 30 something he was sort of, that was his big breakthrough is he was uh him and his producing partner partner marshall herskovitz did 30 something in the late 80s and that was kind of a new thing for tv this sort of like talky you know yuppies for for lack of a better word even though that was a whole thing can you know this tv show about yuppies it was it was quite quite the stir that this timothy busfield patricia wedding show was uh was talking about yuppies essentially um my so-called life was his next was their next big one which lasted for only one season but is like one of the best television shows ever to air on television they also did once and again which won seal award and emmy Another Emmy, which, you know, what can be bad about winning Seal Award and Emmy? Um, that lasted a few seasons, in fact. They g- gave us Evan Rachel Wood, among other things. They did a show called Relativity that I think only lasted maybe half a season, but like people still sort of remember that fondly. So, like, the TV credits are pretty sterling. And then we get into the movies, and after having made About Last Night, which is sort of this like, odd little sexual romantic comedy with Rob Lowe and Demi Moore. That was sort of this like tail end of the Brat Pack era thing. He makes glory in 1989, which is civil war movie about a black battalion in the civil war. Um, Denzel Washington stars in that as well. That's where he won one wins his first Oscar for best supporting actor. And it puts 
you know, puts Zwick on the map as a filmmaker. And then so after that, he he makes a movie called Leaving Normal that we can forget about. But then he makes Legends of the Fall in 1994, which say what you will about Legends of the Fall. It does what it sets out to do. It is a kind of a cheeseball, but like really sweeping romantic drama of of the type that you don't ever see and haven't ever seen i think since then um we have no hesitation endorsing legends of the fall here on this at oscar buzz we like legends of the fall if only for that like what brad pitt looks like in this movie like i will never fully throw edswick away because of the way he photographs brad pitt and legends of the fall it is honestly iconic it is truly iconic and he gets a lot of success he was golden globe nominated for best director for legends of the fall for both of those movies because well it was maybe a little unfair for us to just lump meg ryan into the reason for doing this movie because anything with edswick's name on it already perks up our ears right yeah he is the this had oscar buzz like poster director kind of you know what i mean like half poster director like even we kind of screw him over because we can't talk about glory or legends of the fall because they're both oscar winners yeah so and as much as we at least wanted to talk about legends of the fall or blood diamond because like that had major nominations as well right so it's like he's does these movies that like for our purposes, like he may not be a filmmaker. We get to talk about all that much because it's like, well, we'd be kind of breaking the standard. He like even something like defiance, which is a pure swing and a miss. And we'll probably end up talking about it on this podcast at some point, but even that got something that got like a score nomination or something. Right. Am I wrong about that? Like, right. Well, and and I, you just wonder if it's the type of movies that he makes that at least are considered, uh, you know, crafts movies where it's like, you can maybe expect a f- one or two or maybe a performance nomination. What's interesting about courage under fire is not only that it didn't get any, but that you don't really think of it. Those movie as one of those movies either. And this is even shot by Roger. Deakins. Yeah. You know what else we can't talk about on this podcast because it got a supporting actor nomination. The last samurai, the last samurai, which is everything that people hate about Ed Zwick in one movie. And that it's, it's schmaltzy. It's over the top. It's Hollywood movie star within a sort of, more serious more somber milieu and it's playing a middle ground perhaps a little problematic oh of course. Like, i think i think incredibly problematic yeah for sure um cultural tourism this whole thing what is your favorite ed zwick movie um love and other drugs really so you are a defender of love and other drugs because that I'll was a huge movie. maligned movie yeah um I've only seen it once, but that was the one that I would probably watch. I've seen Legends of the Fall several times, but like, yeah. if I had to put myself down in front of any of them, my curiosity would mostly go to that movie. I will defend The Siege as oh. his best movie. I think that is a movie that takes a big swing and it mostly connects. It is sort of bombastic, but if you look at it, like it's prescient in a few ways, not entirely, but it is a movie where uh, terrorist attacks in New York city lead to a state of martial law. And Bruce Willis sort of like rolls in with the, he's the general that, that takes over New York and, and Denzel Washington again. Um, it's interesting. I reading the reviews for courage under fire. There were a lot of uh, the sentiment of this is a new kind of Denzel Washington who is playing the sort of like moral center of the movie and is guiding, uh, you know, the viewers on the way through it. And I thought it was interesting because like, oh, to me, this is just the quintessential Denzel Washington performance because after the fact, he kept like, this is the kind of movie he would make. Not always like he would have these sort of like spikes of like training day where he plays a villain or um, American gangster or, you know, something weird like the book of Eli, but like courage under fire, the siege, John Q, um, man on fire inside man like these are all unstoppable like these are very similar denzel washington performances where like he is your movie star anchor and he is going to guide you through whatever 
uh, you know, story we're in while giving this incredibly well done, you know, layered in, you know, internal, external performance. Yes, because he's actually really good in this movie, but I was struck by that as he's well. He's great in this movie. Um, yeah. Looking at his timeline that this does kind of mark that shift in his performances because in a way he was a little bit closer to a character actor who was playing lead roles. Um, Cause this is coming off of his best supporting actor win. it's coming off of being nominated again for Malcolm X. And then you have, um, I don't want to say forgotten performances, but some of the like smaller stuff, like devil in a blue dress. No, yeah, people don't remember Virtuosity. People don't. I mean, he's coming off of a couple big box office movies. He's got a ton of movies that hit that like ninety or uh, eighty to ninety million dollars range. Unstoppable, Inside Man, Crimson Tide. That's the one that he made right before Courage Under Fire, and that was a big summer Dude blockbuster. Movie. Yeah, Denzel's box office uh, career is an interesting one, but I think coming off of the Pelican Brief and Crimson Tide. All of a sudden now, he's not just an Oscar-winning actor. He's he's a leading man. He's a box office blockbuster leading man. So with that, then, they open this movie, Courage Under Fire. Again, the first studio movie about the Gulf War. And for, you know, all intents and purposes, like, would be an Oscar-ish movie. They open it in July. Well, I mean, you gotta wonder, right? Like, is this one of the cases of those movies where it's like, we're talking about it in the context we're talking about it because of its release date? Like, if this was a November movie, especially because Denzel did get some, like, critical support for this movie, could it have actually been a player? Um it's you almost wonder if it's counter programming too, because if you look at the box office, when it opened, it's like independence day is still racking in a ton of money. Whereas this is a more like serious adult. Yeah. Independence day really swallowed up a lot of that summer. That is true. That's something I didn't even think about, but that's definitely a consideration for sure. But yeah, I feel like this was, I think we're getting better about talking about movies no matter when they open in the year, I think, you know, get out was obviously a great example of that. Um, I think maybe back in the late nineties, the Oscar landscape was a little more, you know, the, the ironclad that, you know, you opened an Oscar season or you didn't, because even when we talk about the sort of the disaster that was the, studio movies of 1996 and the fact that like all of the studio Oscar hopefuls basically bottomed out. And that's what led to this wave of independent movies Mm -hmm. really becoming the story at the Oscars in 1996. Because the two big studio movies are Jerry Maguire, which Sony had and um, people versus Larry Flint, which really wasn't a big nomination player. It just had, it got Woody Harrelson and it got Milos Forman, but it yeah. was expected to do a lot more. And interestingly, I I, I read the uh, Inside Oscar article on 96 earlier, and I'd forgotten that The Crucible was essentially supposed to just take everything, that it was the big dog coming down. And it was, you know, supposed to be a contender in all categories, and it was going to take everything. Um and not and it got Joan Allen. Right. And it got Joan Allen and like and that was it. And that and it was basically like you weren't ever gonna not get Joan Allen. Like she was sort of she was incredibly, you know, Oscar friendly at that point. But um other movies that year, 1996, you had Evita, which, you know, I think you had these like sort of Golden Globe movies that never quite made it. So Evita, The Mirror Has Two Faces, Woody Allen's musical Everyone Says I Love You, the Terms of Endearment sequel, The Evening Star. Rob Reiner directed Ghosts of Mississippi, which ended up getting a supporting actor nomination for James Woods, but nothing else. Michael Collins that year was supposed to be like Liam Neeson's big, um, well, not quite Schindler's List follow because he had Rob Roy also, but um, it was a big political, Irish political drama with, you know, essentially Liam Neeson doing the Daniel Day-Lewis thing. I feel like doing the like in the name of the father thing. Um, interesting that you a lot of those you mentioned, like even Evita, are 
Golden Globe musical comedy categories and also like Mirror Has Two Faces. Do you think that maybe Jerry Maguire kind of sucked all of the air out of that room or was that more of... Jerry Maguire and Fargo, I would say, because I think Fargo is the only Best Picture nominee from that year to open earlier than, I want to say, November. I think all the other four were either November or December releases. Secrets and Lies might have opened earlier in the fall, Um, but they're all easily fall nominees. And so Fargo was the only one that was from earlier that was from March. And I feel like that was such a story in a way that like Pulp Fiction was such a story of this like new indie thing, sensation, whatever. It was the ooh ah sensation of 1996. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, I think between Fargo and Jerry, I think, yeah, a lot of those other movies got boiled down to Evita got boiled down to Madonna, a referendum on Madonna. Amir has two faces got boiled down to Lauren Bacall finally winning an Oscar. Everyone says, I love you got boiled down into nothing. And I think it's sort of, I, it's not a bad movie. It's not a, it's, it's a curiosity more than anything. And I think ultimately that's where it's, where it landed was as a curiosity. Um, but yeah, I think Jerry Maguire being a, the hit that it was and, and such a, you know, it, it plugged itself right into the middle of the culture. Like, do you remember when Bruce, Bruce Springsteen had that song on the Jerry Maguire soundtrack, Secret Garden? Oh my God. And yes, when they play it on the radio in between the verses, it would have clips from Jerry Maguire. Thank you. That's exactly what I was bringing up. That was bring that back. wild, utterly wild that they did that. Um, I really wish like Love Me Like You Do had <gasps> had conversations about S&M yes! on the radio. What would have been the harm? What would have been the harm, honestly? Um, that's such a good idea. God damn it. Why were you not in charge of that movie's marketing? So, yeah. So I feel like, but interestingly, with all of those studio Oscar hopefuls kind of cratering for one reason or another, the fact that Courage, Courage Under Fire was sparklingly reviewed, like in, at least in like the Rotten Tomato, like thumbs up or thumbs down thing. I think a lot of the positive reviews are mild. were a little measured. Yeah, but people really liked this movie, but they were measured in a way that like doesn't hurt an Oscar movie that's going for what this movie goes for. Like they're they're measured in the way that like the King's Speech reviews would be measured. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, when does that ever hurt? And I feel like I don't think this is a good movie. This is the thing. I think those positive reviews were kind of up a tree about everything except for Denzel. I think Denzel is great. I think the rest of the movie is kind of bad, but. I was disagreed with by most of the critics at the time. And that's why it's odd to me that there wasn't a push for this because I feel like they could have at least gotten a Denzel Washington nomination out of it. Right. Possibly. I mean, the studio thing is very interesting, but I think to your point about the quality of, maybe this isn't a quality thing. Maybe it's just a, how we read this movie thing because over 20 years later, it's like, why is this movie so tepid in like taking a stance on something, anything? Yeah. Because it's like, I don't know how this movie feels about the military. I don't, or the actual war. I don't know how it feels about the way women are treated. I don't know. It, it's it. And I don't know if at the time we were really looking at movies that way. Yeah, this is a movie that views this entire woman's story through the lens of, oh, it's a counterpoint to the feelings of guilt that this Denzel Washington character has for what he Which did. Which is super weird. Which I think in some ways, in some ways it serves the movie well because it plays into the movie's strengths, which is Denzel Washington. I feel like... Which is Denzel Washington and his story, which is way more interesting and kind of deals with like even PTSD in ways that, you know, the cultural conversation wasn't dealing with, again, without saying it, but... I don't love Meg Ryan's performance in this movie. Okay, I want to talk about that because... I love the things that I love about Meg Ryan in this performance and that they're there, that I feel like there's a lot of detail in what she's doing, but it asks her to go to such histrionic places Yeah, that it's almost like she's so poorly directed that it's a little offensive. Well, it 
the film fully takes away any agency of hers because everything that we hear about hers through other people's stories and through other people's stories in a way, the Rashomon thing, in a way that has us, it's not her. It's not her agency. It's the it's point always of it a perception. is what the perception of other people is. So we never get this woman's story actually. And you get the feeling that there's a lot of other things going on, which, you know, generally in a movie, when I feel like the story goes on, even when the film cuts away, I feel like that's a good thing because it feels like it's something that's real and it's something that's, you know, that's made an impact. But in this case, I'm just like, no, like, w- how did she get to this point in, in the military? Did she, you know, was this team always on her side before this thing, before this, you know, incident, this mission? Interestingly enough, also sidebar. Um, when I was reading up on this movie, there was one of the small controversies about it was the fact that they are flying this Red Cross medevac helicopter, right? And then they drop what is essentially a firebomb on this uh, Iraqi tank. And a, like that's a huge, huge violation of like Geneva Convention wars of combat, this thing, this, you know, helicopter is a red, is a red cross uh, emblazoned helicopter. So you're not allowed to fire on it and it is not supposed to be a combatant. It's supposed to be a, you know, for rescue rescue vehicle. Yes. So the fact that they, you know, engaged in, you know, not only dropping that firebomb, but like then firing their weapons. And, and that would have been hugely, you know, controversial. And the fact that then you would have a medal of honor recipient from that entire incident would have been breaking the Geneva convention. Yeah, essentially, essentially. So like, and that maybe is an interesting story also, but it doesn't, it doesn't get observed, but like for as much as there's such obvious strife within this company about her being a woman obviously lou diamond phillips character has a problem with that and and it it, i feel like it also says anything like he doesn't even like and like we don't need all of our snarling sexists on film to be like i hate like you know it's because she's a woman and she's not supposed to be here yeah yeah you know we're smarter than that but at the same time this movie feels so evasive in a way that is really unsatisfying yeah in a way that like i feel like that's one of the things i do like about meg ryan's performances i feel like it's there because you see her even if it's somebody's perception of her you see her responding to that yeah. No, it's true. Um it's frustrating. It makes for a frustrating movie. It I wish it were more evenly divided between the two. I think also I think Blue Diamond Phillips's performance seems less sort of cartoonishly snarling if it's give if it's given a little bit more room to breathe as well. I think he's yeah. good in this movie. Yeah, he was sort of good. also having a moment at this time where he was sing- singled out by a lot of the reviews. He got a remind me what award he got. He got our favorite award, the Blockbuster Award. The Blockbuster God, the Blockbuster Awards have been so good to us, honestly. Rewarding the movies no one else will, the Blockbuster Awards. What's weird though that I found a little shocking wasn't that it was Lou Diamond Phillips that won the Blockbuster Award for this movie for a supporting actor award, but that there were no other nominations especially after some of the past movies we've looked at that they're just like, like pay it forward where they're like, we're going to nominate Kevin Spacey as a romantic leading actor. I clicked into that year's blockbuster awards to see everything else. And all that's listed on IMDb are the winners. So they might have had other nominees and just IMDb doesn't know it yet. So if, if anybody out there has the 1996 blockbuster awards on VHS somewhere and want to pop it in and, and let us know who else was nominated. Please get in touch with us. Would if you have an anything? eBay store where we can buy yes. that from you, I would desperately yes. like to watch those award ceremonies. We will pay for shipping and handling. That is for sure. Um, one of the reviews mentioned that Lou Diamond Phillips was that same year uh, made his Broadway debut in The King and I. Opposite. Oh, yeah. Do you have any idea? Oh, God, I know this. Um, Do you? She won the Tony for it. Donna Murphy. Yeah, Donna Murphy. Donna Murphy's Tony-winning performance in The King and I was opposite Lou Diamond Phillips. He, along with Adam Pascal, lost, were nominated for the Tony and lost to 
Nathan Lame. Oh, for Guys and Dolls? For, no, for uh, Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, which I believe was his first Tony. Um, he might win his third, I want to say. As we record this tonight, it's Tony Day. It's Tony so, Day. Uh, um, go Angels in America. Um, yeah, so he was sort of a big thing, but the other, the biggest supporting actor in this movie, we didn't know it at the time. This was Matt Damon in 1996, the year before it all happened. But I think when it all happened for him with Goodwill Hunting, a lot of that, like, where do I know this guy from? And because he had been in The Rainmaker that same year, 1997, directed by Francis Ford Coppola. School ties. But Coppola, Coppola apparently cast him in that movie because he was so impressed with his work here in Courage Under Fire. Yeah. And rightly so. He's good in this movie. He d- he does that very showy. He plays this character who is who becomes a heroin addict after the events of of what happened in Iraq because he's so tortured by everything that's happened. And he's very he's lost a lot of weight and he's very gaunt and he's very sort of haggard. And, you know, it's one thing when Robert De Niro gains or loses weight or like Christian Bale, knowing that a they're the star of the movie and that they're they're going to get a lot of attention for it. Matt Damon, nobody knew who Matt Damon was, so he's losing all this weight. And might nobody might even notice it because people wanted to be just like, oh, like, you know, you see the contrast between him and between the flashbacks and the present day. But Can I be the jerk here. Be the jerk. Do you not think he's good? I thought he was perfectly fine, but like more so like and I know that this is like the wrong thing to say, but he looked maybe a little thinner than he does in Goodwill. <laughs> skinny Hollywood star gets a little skinnier. Yeah. Like. Fine. I feel like whatever makeup was making his eyes look so, you know, dark and, and inset was probably doing a lot of the work. It's like contoured on his jawbone. This also, like, by the way, this movie yeah, had like brought out the big guns behind the scenes too, where like Roger Deakins is doing the cinematography. James Horner is doing the, oh yeah, that sounds like a James Horner score. Uh, score. We're like, is that Field of Dreams a little bit? Like just, you know, momentarily. But this movie had... Uh, had the all-star team kind of therefore. Yeah. Which I mean, it's amazing that they didn't give it a push for that reason. It makes it feel like they would have at least tried to do something this year, like in this time, if this exact movie opened, you know, with this kind of level of team. Well, and Zwick always seems to work with, I think that's why he, his movies tend to get, if not major Oscar nominations, then certainly minor ones, because he works with very accomplished professionals i think lately his career has gotten like love and other drugs you mentioned which was pretty poorly reviewed and then he didn't make anything else until pawn sacrifice in 2014 which i saw in a theater and is fine is you know fully fine like not great not bad whatever then directs jack reacher never go back which is such an odd yes yes what yes Reteamed with Tom Cruise after The Last Samurai for Jack Reacher, Never Go Back. How did I not know this? Nobody did, because nobody, nobody saw nobody Jack saw Reacher, movie, but... Never Go Back. Um, wow. Yeah, that's his, that's his most recent film that he's directed until... Do you want to see what his 2018 movie is supposed to be? Screenplay by Jeffrey Fletcher of Precious, based on the novel Push by Sapphire. Jeffrey Fletcher, who adapted Push, the novel by Sapphire. Um, The movie's called Trial by Fire, the tragic and controversial story of a man who was executed in Texas for killing his three children after scientific evidence and expert testimony that bolstered his claims of innocence were suppressed. Um, So based on a true story, Laura Dern, I'm assuming, plays the lawyer or the reporter uh jack o'connell plays the guy who's accused of killing his family and it feels like the kind of movie that will be added to the toronto film festival lineup like weeks after the main lineup is announced and you're like yeah, oh it'll be the last gala premiere yeah like or <laughs> yeah that or where it's like oh lbj by rob reiner huh Maybe I'll, maybe I'll see that if I've got We're a whole sneak this into three tiny showings. I mean, Laura Dern in it is probably reason enough to see it, but uh, I the the Zwick name doesn't really carry even 
Because even when he when people didn't like him, people were like, oh, I might as well see this movie because it's going to be a thing. Um, and that really isn't the case anymore. But alas. All right. Meg Ryan, I want to go back to it one more time. I always want to go it, back to Meg Ryan. Let's do this. How many Oscar nominations should he have? Should she have gotten in her entire career? OK, so we have to change the rules then of what Oscar rewards and what it should reward. Because I feel like she would have gotten a lot closer. I mean, okay. She gives the performance of the year in When Harry Met Sally, right? She's so good in When Harry Met Sally. Weirdly, the year Denzel Washington won his Oscar. Oh, God. Maybe maybe they both should have been Oscar winners coming into this movie. She's so good in When Harry Met Sally. She's like, she's iconic. And I know everybody talks about how Michelle Pfeiffer should have been the one to beat Jessica Tandy for Driving Miss Daisy. Um... I think Meg Ryan's got just as much of a claim on it. That's such an interesting. I mean, she defines a whole genre. It's also like, she's so good in things that people. And like, I know she's controversial and some people want to like throw a brick at me or something, but like, she's amazing. And you've got mail. Yeah. All of those Nora Ephron movies. Like, honestly, she plays such a strange character in sleepless in Seattle and she makes it work. Yeah. That's a strange woman. That's an odd woman. That's an unhinged person. Yeah. Yes. I don't know. Maybe it's just she... I mean, really, Meg Ryan hasn't made quite as many movies as some of her peers at that time, like, say, a Julia Roberts. No, that is true. I think at some point... She's working with less. But, like... Would we have punished other actresses as much as we seem to have punished her for making In the Cut? I feel like they were punishing her before in the cut. They every people have had it out for her, especially since proof of life happened. Yes, that's true. When it's like, we've always should have had it out just for where she, where she slept with Russell Crowe and ended her marriage with Dennis Quaid. And like, we don't know. We don't know what was going on. Like, but that, that, that tabloid scandal looms weirdly large in oscar history for some reason for a movie like, that no one cares about for a movie, movie that no one cared about who directed that was that a gore verbinski who directed proof of i Life? feel like that was ridley scott oh was it okay Tony scott. that makes one more sense hold on i'm gonna look it up proof of life 2000 god for a, such a nothing movie it really did because it like also that's the movie that turned russell crowe's oh it was taylor hackford uh. sure <laughs> that makes sense yeah. there you go tony We're gilroy like, wrote it was one it, of too. the scots it was that edward zwick no it's taylor nope. hackford it was taylor hackford <laughs> we, we were almost down the list to like joel schumacher yeah like who directed <laughs> um that's another one of those great posters. Remember the era of posters where it was two characters running and it's him sort of taking her by the hand and they're running through some through sort like of traffic or something marketplace or something. And it reminded me of, I feel like the, the peacemaker also had that trailer or that poster. All of the Warner brothers posters of that era have this weird, like gray sheen to them. Yeah. Like they like, printed it on aluminum foil. Peacemaker does have Clooney and Nicole Kidman running through, again, some sort of North African marketplace or something. I don't know. Um, We keep talking about the Peacemaker, weirdly enough. That's come up now in two out of the last three podcasts we've had. Um, Yeah, so I think her career kind of fell off a sharp cliff, and I feel bad about it. I think there were attempts, like, with... You can't defend the the remake of the women. That was really bad. And remember that movie Against the Ropes where she played the yeah. boxing trainer? Like it was like she made very few movies after In the Cut and they were all bad. Yeah. You know, In the Land of Women is sort of a nothing thing and nobody really saw it, but like not good. It's just people don't know how to... She has such a specific talent that I don't think people have used all that well or known how to use. And I think Courage Under Fire especially uses it poorly. But like, I think she actually brings something interesting to the table because, again, back to that thing where it's like we never really are inside her head. But she like when she's giving these different perspectives, she at least kind of goes for something real her her accent in this movie is is distracting and bad so bad 
it's tension, asshole. <laughs> Which is, okay, That's that line comes after Lou Diamond Phillips gets pissed at her for crying in a Bunker. And, it's an- and she says it two different ways. She does. And neither of them are the English language. No. But it's it's an interesting line if you were able to think about it beyond how weird her accent sounds. Because it's it's one of those, it's, you know, people get crap for you know women crying in situations and it displays weakness and i think it's an it's a message that you don't really get a whole lot of it's just like it's just tension it's just dealing with you know external stimuli it's a physical response that's exactly what i was going for thank you it's a physical response and it's an interesting concept to try and get that through the head of this sort of like you know gung-ho meathead you know army guy but you don't think about it. All you're thinking about is like Meg Ryan sounds like an insane person yeah. reading this line. <laughs> so Okay, so you think that she is bad. I think that she is asked to do terrible, bad acting and is otherwise good in between. But okay, that's let's fair. say that's in enough. this supporting actress lineup, would she have been that offensive? of a nominee especially if it means meg ryan is now an oscar nominee so 1996 best supporting actress let's run run it down it's juliette binoche won that year the big surprise win she beat out lauren bacall for the mirror has two faces and the big uh you know nobody saw that coming but the english patient was such a sweeper that year that it you know brought juliette binoche with that with it um i remember at the time being like, who is this French woman? <laughs> um, and of course, now it's like, it's Julia Pinoche. She should have an Oscar. She should have several. I just rewatched The English Patient for uh, uh, for the first time in a long time. And I got to say, everyone who's crapping on Julia Pinoche is in that movie is wrong. She's great. She's great. That movie in that is movie. great. She's... And she is great. Agreed. Agreed. Um I still think that Seinfeld episode where Elaine hates the English patient is very funny, <laughs> but uh, I think, yeah, I think the English patient is great. Joan Allen, as we mentioned earlier, nominated for playing Elizabeth Proctor in the crucible. The other two nominees were Marianne Jean Baptiste for secrets and lies and Barbara Hershey in the portrait of a lady. That's a really good lineup. I feel like, like that's, for me, that's a tough one to to leave any of them out. Although I will admit I've never seen The Mirror Has Two Faces, so I don't know how good Lauren Bacall is. But like, I'm not going to take away Lauren Bacall's one Oscar right. nomination. Well, and I haven't seen that Crucible in a long time, and I remember it being pretty. I, she's fine, good in it. She is good in it. But yeah, Joan Allen has better performances. Yeah, that's fair. My thing about Joan Allen is I can see the future from here. And I know that after this, her second nomination in two years, because she was nominated in 95 for Nixon, um, she gets one more nomination after this. She gets nominated as actor, lead actress in 2004, The Contender, and then never again. And the roles dry up, and it's everything awful that happens to women when they reach a certain age. And it's insane and infuriating. And... Just from that perspective, I'm like, I'm not taking away one of Joan Allen's three Oscar nominations. I love Meg Ryan, but not for that. Um, But in terms of at the time, and could they have campaigned Meg Ryan at the time? Yeah. Like, Marianne Jean-Baptiste is great in Secrets and Lies. And Secrets and Lies was, you know, hit the, the indie zeitgeist at the right time. But a smart campaign from a movie star like meg ryan should have been able to contend right i agree i again back to one of our earliest points where did they place her for this because like yeah a, she's so prominent in the marketing yeah so it's like was this there's some weird push pull for a leading campaign for her i don't understand yeah but she her her push should have been the same push honestly as james woods for ghosts of mississippi which is A performer you know in perhaps a dubious accent um, in a movie that is sort of taking these big swings at American history, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I bump any of those. I mean, I don't love the performance, so I'm certainly not going to bump any of the the five nominees. But um, 
it's such an odd year to think of because weirdly for as much as it's not like these indie performances were nominated by default. It was that the temperature around the Oscars, a a switch kind of flipped once the studio movies weren't doing it. Then all of a sudden it became, look at how great these indies are. Look at all this, you know, amazing new talent, you know, not all of it from the United States. And that became then the wave. And so no single, the English patient could have done it by, by itself. But like, I feel like secrets and lies and shine and breaking the waves don't happen individually. And even sling blade to some extent, even that's an American movie. Like they all are just kind of an amalgam. They, they, their story was that there was all of them. Snowball building together. Right. Like no, no single one of them could have maybe done it by, you know, on their own, but because it was a trend. Well, and in that context too, it makes sense why something that's a softer lob that even is kind of a little more traditional, like courage under fire doesn't get noticed whatsoever when there's these other fresher things to be excited about. Like even Barbara Hershey in the portrait of a lady that's, It's still, it's Jane Campion who has this sort of cred as an outsider to the industry. And it's kind of a comeback performance. Not, not kind of like it was a comeback performance. Like she hadn't really done anything since beaches, Barbara Hershey. Yeah. And she comes back with this like ruthless character who is like so incredibly watchable and like she's so great in that movie and that makes sense that's sort of that's you know her narrative and Bacall has this has you know the mother of all narratives and i think every every not it's not that every oscar nomination has to have a strong narrative i think the best supporting actor category every year sort of proves that where it's just like huh okay like that performance is there but it really does help to have to give voters a reason to to put your name there. Yeah. So it's interesting that this movie didn't get any technical nominations at all because there were a lot of those like war scenes. It's odd that it didn't get like sound anything sound or as you said, like Deacon's cinematography. Although, did he get nominated for something else this year? I wonder. That would have been yeah, Fargo. That would have been very Roger. He did. He got nominated for Fargo. Yeah. So yeah, what you gonna fuck with that? Like you can't. Um, what a great cinematography year this 1996. Can I just read them really quickly for you? Please do. John Seal won for The English Patient, which gorgeous. Gorgeous. Uh, Darius Conji for Evita. Beautiful. Roger Deakins for Fargo, Caleb Deschanel for Fly Away Home, that movie with the the geese. The geese, which which I think had another title because I have definitely seen two different trailers to attached to kids VHS movies when I was younger that it had two titles. I, okay, so Wikipedia says AKA Flying Wild and Father Goose. So maybe one of those two. Definitely not Father Goose because that sounds like a comedy. It does, doesn't it? Probably why they didn't title it that. But um, the fifth nominee that year was, sorry, I'm going back to it, uh, Chris Menges for Michael Collins, which like those are five like stellar cinematographers. And so, you know, Deacon's getting a second for Courage Under Fire probably was a bridge too far. But alas all right we are we're hitting about that time so do we want to deliver a final thought on courage under fire is this a did oscar miss the boat or did the movie miss the boat like what's how should we remember this um we should remember this movie that we gotta save righty (laughs) god that's all we got. See, it doesn't sound like words when when she said, "I don't know." It's, no, it was it was, a, it was again not the English language. Poor Rady, he survived. He got that wicked scar on his face, and then he was in all those Good Wife episodes, playing the investigator who was always looking for daycare for his kids. Anyway, um, yeah, Courage Under Fire is an interesting movie. That it was the first studio movie to address the Gulf War is interesting. I think. To me, it's a great Denzel Washington performance that is in the middle of a movie that doesn't quite know where to put its focus. And I think it sells out Meg Ryan and her character in a big way, which is too bad because, again, I can see the future. And I know we only had so many more Meg Ryan movies in our future. Even in 96, there were only maybe 
10 left and it's too bad. Um, she's still there. She's still acting. I'm holding out hope for a big comeback for her. Um, Same. Courage Under Fire. All right. Before we go, we're going to do a game. We're going to do uh, one of my favorite games to play, which I call it the IMDb game. Um, other people have said you should call it Known 4, 4 with a the number. Um, it is essentially guessing what are the four movies that IMDb says that a particular actor is best known for. The game is fairly simple uh, as, you know, for whatever, whatever rules there are, are you get three strikes and you're out essentially. Um, if you make two wrong guesses, then you get the years of the movies that you have yet to guess. Then you make your final guess and we see how close you get. As I mentioned to Chris before we're recording, this is not international competition. We can give hints. It's, it's you know, it's all in good fun. Anyway, um, Chris, do you have an actor for me to guess? All right. My first actor for you, star of Courage Under Fire, winner of Blockbuster Entertainment Award, <laughs> Lou Diamond Phillips. Okay. All right. Um, oh, Courage Under Fire. Is that one of them? Yes, it is. Okay. La Bamba. No. No. Isn't that insane? Not La Bamba. That's insane. Oh, um, Young Guns. Yes. Okay. Shit. All right. Now I've got to remember other Blue Diamond Phillips things. Wait. Are, oh, the other rule is, sorry. If un, if any of the four of them are TV or voiceover work, you have to say before. Uh, they are not. At the outset. Okay. Okay. The fourth, um, there's, there's an obvious one that I know you're going to get to. Oh. Stand and deliver. Stand and deliver. Okay, the fourth one. It is difficult. It's a little bit more of a deep cut. It is. All right, I'm just going to throw away a bad guess and then and have you give me. I'll throw away a strike and give me the year. 1998. Who? Huh. Starring Mark Wahlberg. Have we mentioned it on this podcast? Oh, it's starring Mark. Wait. 1998. Mark Wahlberg. Fear. No. No. Wait, no, 98, it would have been after Boogie Nights. Um, Huh. Starring Mark Wahlberg. Also featuring Christina Applegate. What? Oh. Antonio Sabato Jr. Rockstar? No. No. Antonio Sabato Jr., Christina Applegate, Mark Wahlberg. What? It's an action movie. Oh, God. I have no idea. You got to tell me. The big hit. I don't know. I mean, it, I'm sure if I've like seen that, if I see a trailer for it, I'll remember it. But like, what an anonymous. If you see the poster for it, you will remember because it's like turquoise against yellow. <laughs> and yeah. it's like, it's the same font as Go. Okay. All right. All right. That makes sense. Mark Wahlberg's holding a gun. Oh, boy. All you right. You will definitely remember the poster the second you see it. All right. So I got three out of four. Um, I went with the 1996 Oscars theme. Um, Jeffrey Rush. Jeffrey Rush's top. Give me four. Jeffrey Rush's four IMDb known for movies. Are they okay? Can I just ask the question? How many of them are Pirates of the Caribbean movies? Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. You guessed that's one. You've guessed it correctly. Just one. Yeah. None of the others. None of the others. Wow. If it was um, all compared to the Caribbean movies, I wouldn't have done it because that's boring. That's why all the people in Marvel movies are bad to do this game for, because it's no fun to just be like Avengers one, Avengers two, Iron Man one, Iron Man two. Like that's boring. Justice for Scarlett Johansson's IMDb game. <laughs> um, uh, okay. So, so you got parts of the Caribbean King speech. Correct. Shine. No, he has his Oscar for that. His Oscar winner for Shine this is why is their weird. algorithm is terrible. It's weird. Like he got his Oscar for their that. Os- their algorithm being weird is why this is a fun game, though. So I can't resent it too much. Um, and none of them are TV, so it doesn't have like none of them are TV. Sellers. None of them are voiceover. It's weird that none of them are voiceover too. Um, okay, give me some hints. Jeffrey Rush is a weird one. Okay. Um, yeah. So do you want years? Then we'll just jump to that. Okay. 1998 and 2000 quills yes quills is the 2000 one i love quills um the poster of quills is just him aggressing kate winslet in this like incredibly unsettling way 
gross. Um, okay, so it's 1998. It's post-Oscar, pre-second nomination for Quills. Was that his second nomination? Mm. I'm going to say the answer lies in the fact that you're wrong. Okay, so it was <laughs> another Oscar nomination for Jeffrey Rush, so it's Shakespeare in Love. It's Shakespeare in Love, yeah, exactly, exactly. I got all four. Do you want to do one more? You got all four. You're very right, good. I got another the one, other one for you if you want to do another round. Okay, let's do another round. Also, you give yours to me. Also, star of Courage Under Fire. They're exclusively for the reason to be reaction shots to Denzel Washington's narrative, <laughs> Jelko Ivanic. Oh, I shit. will say it's not Marvel movies, but there are three movies that are tied together by the same director. Okay, but no TV. No TV, Jelko Ivanic. Oh my god, this is this is rude because he is such a in everything <laughs> character actor. Three movies from the same director or three movies with the same like they're all sequels to each other. They are not sequels to each other. Huh. Okay. Who's the director who has all the Jelko Ivanic movies? Um Dang. All I can think of for him is TV because he was in Damages and he was in uh Oz. Um can you give me years? Uh, I will give you years. Two of them are in 2012. One is just last year, 2017. The latest or the earliest is 2008. Ooh, is 2008 one of the three with the same director? Yes. Okay. Action, action, or like political? Uh, that's sort of his wheelhouse. Is it neither? Okay, they're kind of both for some yeah. of these. I will say there is a Best Picture winner in this lineup. What are the years again? Uh, 2008, 2017, 2012. Two are in 2012. Okay. Is he in Argo? Yes. Argo is the first and one. And that's one of them? Okay. The other three are and it's not, not directed by... I was going to say, so the other three are the, the other director, because it's not the Ben Affleck oeuvre. Um, another 2012 movie. I will say he is an actor who is very collaborative with this director, also on the stage. I saw him on the stage in this director-writer's oh, play. McDonough? Yes. In Bruges? Yes. Seven Psychopaths? Yes. Three Billboards? Yes. All right, good hints. Well done. Um, uh, thank you for walking my ass to that answer. <laughs> that, this one you know was what? admittedly hard and probably about the hardest actor to throw into Absolutely. this game. Absolutely. Thank you. What was the play? Behanding in Spokane? No, I saw him in The Pillow Man. Ooh, interesting. Okay. Um, all right. So I'm giving you another nominated actor from 1996. This one is Kristen Scott Thomas. Ooh. Um, Darkest Hour. No, that's an interesting first one to go for. Okay. Um, uh, English Patient. Yes, that's one. Uh, I've Loved You So Long? Nope. All right, so that's two strikes, so you get years. Um, 1994, 2001, 2013. Two th- uh, 1994 is Four Weddings and a Funeral. It absolutely is. What were the other two years again? 2001 and... 2001 and 2013. One of them, three of her four are Best Picture nominees. You've already guessed two of them. Okay. I'm trying to think what other Best Picture nominees she was in. So one is a Best Picture nominee and one is fairly well reviled. So that's your that's your split. And those are the two different movies. Those are the two different movies, yeah. The Best Picture nominee is like an ensemble. Mm-hmm. She's part of a, a big old ensemble. The poster, I will say, as I'm looking at the poster, is literally a uh, a note that is the all of the actor nominees listed one below the other. And so it's just this like huge long note of, of the very sprawling cast in this movie. Oh, God. I am... You might have forgotten she's I, in this I movie. know that I've forgotten that she's in this movie because she's probably in like three scenes of this movie. She's actually in it a lot. She's just not one of the she two. This movie had two acting nominees and she wasn't one of them. And she wasn't close. Two acting nominees in the same category. I'm assuming this is the 2003 movie. 2001. 2001. Um, Best Picture nominee, two actors oh nominated, God, actresses nominated in the same category. 
Nope, that's, that's from 2000. 2000. Okay. I'm bad with years. Years don't help me. You know that. Um, I know, that's true. But two supporting actresses in the same movie from, let's say, an English movie about, let's say, a murder directed by... A murder. Uh, oh, it's Gosford Park. Yeah, yeah it's Gosford Park. Gosford. I was going to say, I can't just tell you Robert Altman, then you'd get it. Okay, so the 2013 one is pretty well reviled. It's from a director... A director-star pair who had a much better-received movie a few years before. Um, its poster is garishly colored. Like, it's... Honestly, the neon is intimidating. Um, neon's probably a good keyword for this director... Her performance is a featured supporting performance in a way that like... Oh, it is uh, Only God Forgives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good in that movie. Uh, I've never seen it. I sort of... I, I ran away from it. I don't know. I love um, that you I said d- that it's fairly reviled when everyone on Earth hates that movie. Everybody hates that movie. Everybody does. Okay. Well done. That was good. All right. That was a good fun IMDb game. I definitely forgot half of those movies she was in. The fun of the IMDb game and why it's fun to just sort of like play when it's like you and your movie loving friends just like hanging out is like just shooting hints to one another and trying to see how specific you have to get for somebody to get it. Sometimes you will be. Or what you have to be specific about. The best moments in an IMDb game are when everybody else in the room knows what you're talking about and the person guessing doesn't. And it's. It's a time. Anyway, well done. Um, I think that's all. I think that's our episode. Yeah, that's our episode. If you want more This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Chris, where can the listeners find you and your stuff? You can and should find me on Twitter. I'm at Chris V File. That's V-F-E-I-L. Um, I'm also on the film experience writing about soundtracks and other stuff. Um, and follow me on Twitter. Wonderful. I am also on Twitter. I'm at Joe Reed. Reed is spelled R-E-I-D. And every day you can read me at decider.com covering film and TV and everything that's on streaming. We would also like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork on our logo. It's so good. I love it so much. I love it so much. Uh, Thank you, Kyle. And thank you to Dave Gonzalez, our podcasting guru, for helping us get all sorts of set up and dealing with my technological opposite of know-how. We appreciate all help. And we've been been recording these far far enough in advance that we haven't had all of our details nailed down to get our interviews in earlier. It's not that we weren't able during the first four episodes. We just... uh, we're recording far in advance. So anyway, thank you, Kyle. and Thank you, Dave. That is all for this week. We hope you will be back next week for more bugs. Everyone's a winner, baby. That's so loud.